of course, when we talk about gender and sexuality, I mean, these are, again, things that are hotly debated in our society and culture. They're things that are, that are talked about. But the thing that I want to say up front, and I want to make sure that we understand, is that these are not just issues to be solved, but what we're talking about today is people. But we're not just talking about issues to be solved. We're talking about real, live people who are struggling and who are dealing with gender issues and gender identity issues and sexuality issues and all of those kinds of things and we want to be sensitive to that for example take the story of eric borges who uh and as as it is written in uh this book called people to be loved by dr preston sprinkle and the subtitle is why homosexuality is not just an issue He starts off in the very first chapter of telling Eric's story, and he says, Eric Borges was raised in a conservative Christian home. At a young age, Eric realized, though, that he was different. And other kids at school, well, they let him know it. He endured relentless and ongoing bullying throughout kindergarten, and the rest of his elementary school years were tarnished with horror. I was physically, mentally, verbally, and emotionally assaulted on a daily basis, recalls Eric. This led to chronic migraines, debilitating depression, suicidal thoughts, and a whole host of other mental and physical problems. My name was not Eric, but faggot. I was stalked, spit on, and ostracized. On one occasion, he was assaulted in a full classroom, and nobody intervened, not even the teacher who was present. Throughout school, Eric was treated like a monster, like a subspecies of the human race. I was told that the very essence of my being was unacceptable. I had nowhere safe to go, not even the church. In his sophomore year of college, Eric came out to his parents, and he told them that he was gay. And after performing an exorcism on their son, they told him, among other things, that he was disgusting, that he was perverted, that he was unnatural, and that he was damned to hell. Later on that year, they eventually kicked him out of their house. Eric eventually shared his story in public on YouTube in 2011, and in the video, he tried to encourage other youth who have had similar experiences that it gets better, but after having suffered in a hissing cauldron of ridicule and torment, in pain, just one month later, Eric killed himself. We're not just talking about issues to be solved. We're talking about people. People who are made in the image of God. People who God values greatly. People who God loves dearly. We're talking about kids. We're talking about teenagers. We're talking about adults who, who, as they begin to experience something different about them, are often confused, are often anxious about what they're feeling, and they often feel like they really don't have any safe place to turn for fear of being bullied, for fear of losing their friends if they come out, for fear, fear of losing their church, being kicked out of their church. We're talking about parents, too. Parents who, when their teenager or adult son or daughter come out to them as gay or that they are identifying as a different gender are sometimes just as confused and anxious and worried about 
what to do and how to respond, and, and, and they often, too, don't feel like they have anywhere to turn for the same fears that they might lose their friends, that they might lose other family members, that they, too, may lose their church family. And so, again, we're talking much more than about an issue. We're talking about people, people who are struggling and wrestling with their identity, just like all of us struggle and worry about our identity in some way, shape, or form. We're talking about people who are wondering and trying to figure out who they are and how they fit into this world. We're talking again about people who matter to God, people who are precious to Him, have value and worth in His sight. And so my hope that is that we, as we talk about this today, as hopefully we continue to have conversations around this after today, that we will first and foremost lead with grace, that we will lead with compassion as we seek his truth and what he has to say through his word for us as his people, as, as his creation. And, of course, when we talk about gender and sexuality and and in the culture and in the day and age that we live in, we're talking about a lot of terminology which is being thrown around today and for a lot of us is, is new. For a lot of our, our teenagers and kids in the room, it's mainly a lot of it normal, typical language and discussions and things that they're hearing. But for those of us who are a little bit older, we kind of get lost and confused in it all and have no idea what is going on and what people are talking about. For example, not too long ago, the term biological sex and the term gender were synonymous. When you ask someone what their biological sex were or their gender, they would respond either male or female, and that was it. That was just synonymous with those two words. But now, they don't mean the same thing. In today's culture, when you talk about gender, it's come to refer to kind of an internal sense of one's self. Apart from your biological sex, your gender may be just an internal feeling of whatever you feel like right? If someone different than that. And so along with that, this led to terms like transgender and things like gender dysphoria and non-binary gender and gender fluid and pangender and non-conforming and on and on and, and on. There's, there's numbers and numbers of those kind of things, which again, for a lot of us, we don't really, what? I mean, you're not used to using a lot of those, but it's common language in a lot of circles that are being thrown around and that's just gender I mean then you take sexuality and you've got homosexual or gay and queer and lesbian and again on and on and on and these are these are these are terms of identity these are people's way of trying to identify themselves and so these are identity issues again people wrestling with who they are and how they identify themselves in the world which again is what we've been talking about all summer long just in different areas and so I want to say again up front this is not by any stretch of the means an exhaustive sermon on gender and sexuality I mean first of all I couldn't do that in one message in one 35 to 40 minute talk um, anyway but for our purposes I'm really focusing a lot on the aspect of gender uh, and uh, sexuality issues as it relates to identity and so we're going to dive into God's word, excuse me, around those particular issues. I will say again, up front, I don't, I don't claim to be an expert on any of these things. By the end of today, um, there might, honestly, I'll just say it, be some things that I get wrong, right? 
Um, hopefully I'm uh, allowing myself and gotten myself out of the way in preparation and being here today that the Lord is speaking in me and through me um, as his vessel and the very words that are coming out of my mouth are, are his words but again I'm not perfect and I don't claim to be an expert and a lot of what we say here may lead to a lot of a lot of other conversations and questions in our minds and before we dive into it I will also say that um I just want to address that there may be some of you who are here uh, maybe you even heard this is what we were talking about today and you made it a point to be here because this is something that you've wrestled with this is something that you struggle with and uh, maybe you've not even really have been involved in church before but you just saw it and you're here and I just want to man I want to applaud you in this moment I want to I want to give a shout out to you for being courageous and not knowing what this was going to be about or maybe you were familiar with this and this is a struggle of yours and you've either talked about it but you don't know what I'm going to say up here and you're still here anyway or you don't you've never talked about these kinds of things and I just and I want you to know up front that there is there's is grace and that there is love and that um, my heart goes out to you if you've been in this struggle in any way, shape, or form, because while I may not be able to relate with this struggle along those lines, I've certainly talked to enough people and read enough stories to know the confusion and the pain and the torment and all the above that it can cause. I'm going to start by um, diving into just the creation account. You know, one of the things that we've been saying about this identity uh, series and, and from a biblical perspective is just this, before we look in Genesis, is that as far as the biblical perspective of identity, right? We are, we are not what other people say we are. We're not who other people say we are. We're not what we do. We're not what we feel is true about ourselves we're not what we even think about ourselves but from a biblical perspective identity is we are who God says that we are he is the creator we are his creation and so we look to the creator to define who we are to give us our identity and our value and our worth and our meaning and our significance in Genesis 1 27 in the creation account we're told that God created mankind he created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them when we're talking about the creation of God and we're looking in Genesis at the creation of count mankind is the only aspect of creation that is talked about as being created in the image of God. No other aspect of his creation is said to bear the image of the creator. And while we could ask the question, what does that necessarily mean? How do we as human beings, as mankind, differentiate from the rest of creation? And while that could be a whole nother sermon, and we could dive into that probably for hours as a simplification of that today, I'm going to refer you back to some diagrams that we've been using all summer long at various points and, um, and talk about it this way. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 talks about this prayer, and he's 
praying that we'll be sanctified all the way through and through, through our body, through our soul, and our spirit. We're the, the makeup of mankind is a tripart being, that we all have a body, we all have a soul, which he uses the Greek word suke, which we get our word psychology from, refers to our mind, our emotions, our will, our personality, if you will, and, and we have a spirit. And so when you look at other creation and aspects of creation, we can look at animals and all kinds of creatures that have a body, so we don't really, that's not the difference between us and creation. I think you can certainly make the argument that, that creatures and other aspects of God's creation have souls, right? There's, there's, there's dogs. Many of you have a dog. You can see emotions and how they can get sad when you're getting on to them or, you know, they can get happy and excited and they express aspects of a, of a personality. And so I think there's aspects of creations that have bodies and souls. But I think the thing, again, for simplification purposes, that, that separates us from the rest of creation being made in the image of God is that we're spiritual beings. We have a spirit. We were meant and created to be in a spiritual union with God whom he would manifest his divine presence in the world through us. And so, again, when you look at this diagram, we were meant to be in a spiritual union. God is a spiritual being we were meant to be in a spiritual union with him, drawing upon all of the life that we receive from him, and then he is manifesting himself. We're the image of him with the rest of the world. And that, of course, doesn't mean, when we separate it this way, that our souls and our bodies are not important. Oh, well, if the spiritual aspect of us separates us and we're made in his image as spiritual beings, then some could make the argument that the, the soul isn't as important, the body isn't as important. And that's certainly not the biblical perspective of the way that we see mankind. The body is important. So if God is going to to manifest himself as a spiritual being through us as human beings there has to be a physical component to that there has to be a way for him to express for people to be able to see the spiritual aspect of who God is and that happens through when he uses our uh, mind and our thoughts and our speech and our emotions and all aspects of the rest of us it's the component by which he manifests himself to others now, when you take that and you go back again to Genesis um, 1.27, we can put that back up on the screen if you want to. Um, the, the Hebrew word that's translated there, um, um, image, he made mankind in his own image, is one that really is used a lot throughout the Old Testament to refer to kind of physical carved statue or copy of a non-physical being. And so when you, you, you see this being used, you, you get the idea, again, that our body, again, is essential to being able to bear his image. There's this physical component that's even expressed through the, the wording of this. You might also take note that male and female, like some, some translations say God created man in his own image and then comes down and says in the image of God he created them male and female. These are different Hebrew words. So the Hebrew words for male and female express more about biology, that you're, you're born biologically as a male. He created um, Eve biologically as a female. And then um, even after this, in the very next verse, I didn't put it up here, is where God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. There's an aspect of, of, of the makeup of who we are as males and females in the biological component where there's procreation is involved. There's no distinction between gender and sex. 
when we look at what God is saying in the creation account here. And so when we look at Adam and Eve, he's, these are spiritual beatings. Adam was in the garden, no sin yet, so he was in a spiritual union with God as a created male, and God was manifesting him through Adam in his maleness, right? He put Eve in the garden, and, he, and she was in a spiritual union with God, and God was manifesting him through Eve and her femaleness, this was the way it was in the original account. And with Adam and Eve there, they were drawing their life from their creator. They were drawing their identity from their creator. They were f expressing um, his life in and through them until sin entered the world and broke everything. And as we've been saying all throughout the series, the most important aspect that was broken as a result of the fall and their choices in the garden was that that spiritual union was now broken. Because of God being a holy being and not able to be in the presence of sin, God and mankind were separated. Adam and Eve were removed from his presence in the garden. That spiritual union was broken, and as a result, in this next diagram, you see that there's spiritual death. Sin entered into them all the way to the core of their being and where they were drawing that life from their creator, where they were finding value and love and worth and significance and meaning and purpose and identity, it's now broken. There was no life there. They were spiritually dead in that moment. So, so now they're having to do it all on their own. All they have left is flesh. They have no God. They have no the, the creator of life in a spiritual sense. So now all they have is their, their flesh to be able to find their own meaning. Now they've got to find their own purpose. Now they've got to find their own significance. Now they've got to find their own worth, right? They've got to find their own and create their own identity. All those things they had in God, which they don't have now, we've got to find it in ourselves or out in the world. And, of course, all of us are born into the same position as this right here. We have a sin nature. There's an indwelling sin in our lives, and us, too, are trying to figure out our meaning and our purpose and our life and our identity. And look, the only other places we have to look, since we can't find it in God, is through our mind, what it is that maybe we think about ourselves, through our body and our ears and what other people say about us, through the emotions that we feel on the inside and what they say about us and what we think that means about us, the, the experiences that we have in our body, all of these fleshly aspects that we have to try to interpret now to find our meaning, to find our purpose, to figure out who we are to create an identity of worth and so one of the ways among many because that's what we've been talking about all summer there's many ways that we do this but one of the ways that we can try to find an identity and our meaning and our purpose in the world that we were meant to find originally from God is reaching out and trying to find it in our sexuality and in our gender Right? And that may look different for very different people. On one hand, it may simply look like for some of us, okay, if, if I don't find, if I don't know who I am and, and I'm a man or I'm a woman and I'm looking out into the culture, I'm going, well, what, what defines the ultimate man? What defines the ultimate woman, right? And we look around, we see what's valued, and we see how they might look or how they might, you know, dress or um, their, again, their appearance, what they act like, the things that they do, all of those things. And you know, you know what? If, if I'm going to matter, I'm going to create an identity, I'm going to be the ideal man. 
I'm the ideal woman. I'm going to start to, I'm going to start to try to make myself into them and copy the way that they look. And I'm going to look like them and I'm going to talk like them and I act like them. And then we're going to try to create this identity around making ourselves into the ultimate. That's a highlight of gender or sexuality in the way that God didn't intend it to be. That we're trying to find the life and the meaning and purpose that was meant to found in God. And now we're having to grab onto those things that are good things and a part of us, but not the ultimate thing to find our meaning and our identity and our purpose. And so, so the other way, it might not be that we're looking for that and trying to make ourselves into it. For some people, when it applies to what we're really talking about mainly today, though, is that for others, it may not be looking out into the world and trying, but it comes from an internal sense. That for them, the experience is not, I'm looking out and trying to make myself into whatever they are. For them, there's something inside, the, the feelings, the flesh, the something that's going on in here where, where they feel feel something about themselves where they're they're thinking something emotions tied to experiences that we're having that they're trying to interpret and they're going oh well if i'm feeling these things and i'm thinking these things then maybe that's who i am that must be who i am and so now we're going to begin to label and identify in those ways that match up to what we're feeling on the inside to claim our identity and to claim our purpose and those things. And so that would be, again, in line with gender. We might look for the same things through sexuality, and we might say that we're, we're, we identify as homosexual or bisexual or pansexual, again, based on something that we're feeling on the inside, based on something we're thinking about ourselves, based on our actions or associations with sexual behavior. And so these are two ways, sexuality and gender, among many ways that we will reach to and try to find and identify ourselves to bring us our meaning, our value, our, our place. It gives us something to cling to, a way to define who we are, right? So really, when the Apostle Paul is writing in Romans 1, and he's trying to make the case after Jesus came about how big of a, a mess that we're all in, right? Trying to show us our need for Jesus, he can make this statement in Romans 1.25 and say they traded the truth about God for a lie so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. This is a general statement again about how, how we have to take the creation. We've got to look out into the world, us as creation. God's the ultimate. We could look at creation. He makes the argument and say that could and should point us to a designer and that we're created beings and maybe there's something that we should draw on from him instead of ourselves. But we're going, no, no, I'm going to exchange that, the creator idea, for the creation. I'm going to look to it to find my worth, my meaning, and my identity. I am a creation. I'm going to look for stuff inside of me to to try to define who I am because we're all separated from him and Paul's just again trying to make the point that we're all in this position as a matter of fact in verse 29 he goes on to describe these outward behaviors and outward things that we're we're expressing ourselves in these ways as a result of sin and trying to find our meaning and value and purpose and identity and he says their lives became full of every kind of wickedness sin greed hate envy murder quarreling deception malicious behavior gossip they're backstabbers haters of god insolent proud boastful they invent no new ways of sinning and they even disobey their parents oh my gosh it's terrible Again, I'm, I'm about to highlight a section that I skipped that applies to our context today, but you've got to see that Paul's 
Because we in the church have a real bad time of isolating the two verses that I'm about to read and instead of putting it in the context and going, Paul's talking about us all. I think we can all find ourselves in that list somewhere. One of those we can identify with, right? And if it's not there, keep reading into chapter 2. He'll get to you kind of eventually. It's an all-inclusive thing. But in verses 26, as part of this exchanging the creation for, or the creator for the creation, he says in verse 26, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Verse 27, and the men, having, um, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for one another. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Paul says one of the ways, one of the ways, many ways that people have tried to find life in the creation and identity through the creation opposed to the creator is through same sex relations not the only but one of many all kinds of ways paul's making the case with defining these along with a number of other things that we're all separated from god because of sin and to show us our need for jesus as a matter of fact by the time he finishes chapter one he finishes chapter 2, and he gets into chapter 3 and gets to verse 10. He's aim, even able to say um, uh, that um, no one is righteous, not even one. Like, in case you've missed all the examples that I just threw of all these different things and you couldn't find yourself in it, let me just remind you that as it is written, no one is righteous, not even one of us. Right? We're all in the same boat. That's why he's now casting the bad news. You've got to be able to see the bad news to see how good the good news really is about Jesus coming. It was God seeing a problem, sending a rescuer. And so Paul could then say a little bit later in verse 21 of chapter 3, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are and so the good news is that even though we were as sinners God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to pay the penalty for our sins then when we put our faith and trust in him he forgives us and comes to dwell in us joins us back to listen the spiritual union that Adam and Eve had in the garden he he restores us as his creation to the garden to the place where he had created mankind and was beginning to manifest himself through them where there was a union of spirit with capital S spirit so he could manifest himself through them and the same is true for us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation he restores us back to the garden and when he begins to manifest himself through us now he will do so through your maleness or through your femaleness he puts himself back in you so that he can live his life through you as you we said this a couple of weeks ago you are his workmanship you are his masterpiece. This is the whole idea of manifestation. Jesus is in you to work through your soul and your bodies to express himself through you as you. Um, I 
was going to reference and dive into some places of Matthew 19 where Jesus highlights Genesis 127 and Genesis 224 and affirms this male and female and union between man and woman and how Paul in Romans 1 dives way into creation and should point us back to the created order, what we're talking about, this restoration thing and how he's going to live in and through us through the created order of things. Uh, but I don't have time to do that. So I'm, I'm going to move on from there and just say that when Jesus restores us spiritually, at the moment we put our faith and trust in him for salvation, he restores us to the created order of things in the way that he will manifest himself to us again, either as a single male, a single female, or a male and a female joined together in a holy matrimony of marriage where he makes us one. Now, what I do need to say, though, is that even though Jesus will manifest himself through you as a male or a female, no distinction between biology and gender, I need to clarify that there is a wide range of the way in which Jesus might live through you in your maleness or a wide range in which he may live through you in your femaleness. Because what we've done for far too long is the culture said this defines what a real man is and the church has sometimes adopted that philosophy and we've put that same pressure on our kids growing up and all of those things and say a real man lives out his maleness this way. A real woman lives out her femaleness this way and we neglect that all throughout the Bible there are examples of what tends to be the general idea of what we might envision vision in our minds as being typical male behavior or typical female behavior that goes against those things. Deborah, for example, in the Old Testament was one that led the Israelite army. Apparently, God created her in her femaleness to manifest himself through her to go lead guys in battle. That would go against going, she's not a real female. Look at that guy, you know, with her over there. But we go, no, 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 that's manifestation through her femaleness there's just a wide range to be able to view Jesus doing that, and we've by far narrowed the categories way too down for that. There's examples in the Old Testament of men who were used to sew things and do artistic kind of work, and these things that, again, we might in general say are more things in behavior aligned with female aspects of things. And so then when we, do you realize that when we try to put that on our kids or we try to act those things out that we're basically saying to God, the way that you created me as a biological male with no distinction between gender and sex is not enough. In order to prove that I'm a male, my behavior must now align with what culture says is a male. But this is what we do, even in Christian men's ministries, even in women's men's ministries, we're trying to put all of them, hey, we're going to not apologize for being men, we're going to be real men, and real men do this, and all of this, and the culture's out there, and telling and trying to, and I'm not saying that there isn't some aspect of some things that Satan's involved in and all of that, but we're not giving any room for those who may have a different experience for God to express himself through them in their maleness that may not be the same way that's valued in the culture or vice versa in the female and we've got to recognize that that is the way God may work the other thing I want to just begin as we dive into some application and takeaways with some of this today some of you are maybe even thinking I've got some questions right I mean like I um I can see where 
you're making a biblical argument for this and I can see how it's not part of my identity it may not be the natural order of things but if it's your struggle you're wondering then why do I still experience identity confusion why do I still experience same-sex attraction or you're thinking that about someone that you know why does that kind of a thing go on and the first thing I need to address with that because I think Unfortunately, many of us in the church, for some reason, have this category where that's not even possible. Like, we think that you cannot, it is just simply not possible to be a Christian and experience same-sex attraction. Like, like someone may say they're a Christian, but they must not really be a true believer if that's actually something that's happening. Or if they're expressing some kind of confusion about identity issues, then they must not really be a true believer because no true believer would experience true, like, um, same-sex attraction or gender identity issues. And the way I want to reference and help you maybe see this is another Diagram I've shown today and one we showed earlier, but apply it to this specific context. Again, if you go back to the one where you have indwelling sin in the diagram, the three-part being where it's all the way in the middle. So, so when we're, we're looking at that, this is before Christ, right? But we've talked about how the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, watch what happens next. So now look where indwelling sin moved to. If we're in a spiritual union with Jesus, there's no way we can still have a sin nature at the very core of our being. Right, So the indwelling sin is still a part of us and our soul and something that we're going to experience in the way that we think. We're going to experience it in the way that we feel in our body and our experiences. Sin is still going to be at work in a lot of different areas. But why could it not be the same way for gender identity confusion and things like same-sex attraction? If someone's feeling attracted to another person but still a christian at the core of their being they're feeling that in their body or their emotions and their sin and things that are broken in this world that are causing them to feel that in the same way that many of us experience thoughts and emotions and things about ourselves that don't line up with who we are really in christ it's just one more example of those kinds of things and so if that to also say that if this is your struggle you do experience same-sex attraction or you do experience gender confusion that kind of thing that that when those things come up you you remind yourself about that and that it's not ultimately who you are that's why paul had to tell us in romans 12 to renew our minds to the truth so first of all i got to know the truth we got to know that even though you uh go back to one sorry um go back so so um even though you're feeling that everything in your body is screaming that this is my identity this is who i am because i am attracted to someone from the same sex or because i don't feel like a, a woman trapped in a male body or the vice versa and everything's screaming at that we go wait wait wait, wait, wait. that's not who i am that's part of what i'm feeling but that's not who i am in christ so we renew our minds to the truth of those things, which then will lead out to certain behaviors and actions. And so we don't put qualifiers in front of who we are as children of God, just in the same way that we used when we said that citizenship, that we're ultimately citizens of heaven. So we're not America. So our identity may be as American citizens, but it's secondary. We're not American Christians. We're Christians who are citizens of the United States of America. Do you see the difference? Same thing. If you experience same-sex attraction, then you're not a gay Christian. You're a Christian who experiences and struggles with same-sex attraction. There's a difference. One is saying, this is who I am. I don't have a choice. It's not gonna, it's gonna be there all the time. There's no room for Jesus to do anything to break down or do whatever. And 
all of those particular things. The other couple of quick things I need to point out is that, um, again, experiencing those thoughts and feelings about gender identity and, um, and sexual identity is not sin. In, in the same way that, you know, if, if a heterosexual man or a woman is attracted to someone of the opposite sex, that's not sin, but it becomes sin when there's lust, becomes sin when you cross over into sexual activity outside of a covenant marriage relationship with that person. And the same thing would be true about someone who's experiencing um, issues related to gender confusion, sexual identity, um, that kind of thing. And, and so... Um, I will also need to say, um, if this is something that you've struggled with and it's not just been a thought, there's, there's been behaviors associated with those things and things that have stepped over and crossed the line and you're going, okay, well now that's definitely sin. I've gone too far. There's no real hope for me now. That is a lie from Satan. When Jesus died on the cross, the author of Hebrews says it was a once-for-all thing, that he died for all sin. He didn't die for all sins except the one that you um, stepped into in a, in, in through homosexuality and behavior or gender identity issues or those kind of things. Like, no, all sin is all sin. He died for them all. There's forgiveness. You are completely washed and forgiven for whatever it is that you stepped into receive his love and walk in confidence that you are forgiven and turn to him to find your life and your meaning and purpose in those things and then secondly i want to encourage you if this is your struggle to to find someone you can talk to and not hold those things in and i would encourage you to find someone in the church find someone you respect in the church that you look up to that you can talk about these things and not have to suppress them and and hold them in and 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 live in fear i encourage you to not go out into the world to look for these answers because you're going to hear things that don't line up always with the truth of god and so go to his word come to people that you love and trust in here but this also has application if i'm going to tell people who are struggling with this who are watching online or here today Um, to come to us and admit and be open and authentic and real about those things then the application for us is the rest of the church who don't experience this struggle is we've got to create safe places for them to be able to do so because way too often the church has not created safe places i'll close with this story here um, that's written in this book called grace and truth about jordan says that his hands were trembling and his face was dripping with sweat and my friend Jordan was, was waiting anxiously in his car outside the church office. He did not want to go inside, but he knew that he had to. Uh, Jordan had recently come to grips with the fact that he was attracted to guys and he'd even mustered up the courage to tell his pastor. But now he was about to go into a room full of church leaders and tell them that he was experiencing same-sex attraction. He could hardly say the words out loud, even in the safety of his car, but in a few minutes, he would be saying those words out loud to men he feared might not understand. Jordan, who had completed a year of college, had spent several years wrestling with his attraction to guys. He did not believe that the Bible allowed him to act out on that attraction, and he had never touched another guy romantically out of allegiance to God's word. No one at the church had known about this struggle. And oh, by the way, Jordan was also helping out in the youth group at church. 
When he entered the room, he was greeted with smiles. His palms were still dripping with sweat, but he decided to get it over with and said, I know you all trust me and allow me to help out in church. And so I wanted to let you know that I, um, I mean, well, I, I want to confess that, well, I'm, uh, I'm sort of, well, I struggle with same-sex attraction. I'm attracted to guys. Silence. I thought he was a Christian, one leader said. Jordan, when did you decide this? Another one asked. Um, when? What do you mean, when? I didn't decide this. I don't want to be attracted to guys. The leader continued, you know, Jordan, what God thinks about homosexuality, right? He says it is a sin. Jordan was just taken aback. He didn't really know what to say. The leader seemed to assume that he was engaging in immoral sexual behavior. But Jordan was sexually pure. He, he was simply admitting his attraction to not sexual activity with other guys. Is struggling with and resisting temptation a sin? Jordan wondered, do these leaders never struggle with and resist sexual temptation? Jordan, we can't condone someone with your lifestyle, another leader said with a look of concern. Lifestyle, Jordan thought. I haven't even touched another person romantically. What does lifestyle even mean? Before Jordan could respond, another leader added, and what about our children? I mean, we can't have you working with our children. Jordan felt sick to his stomach. He didn't really know how to respond. Um, sir, I don't struggle with wanting to have sex with children. I'm gay. I'm not a pedophile. But the distinction between homosexuality and pedophilia seemed to sail right past the other leaders. As Jordan sat through the rest of uh, the rather brief meeting, he felt dehumanized and misunderstood. The leaders had good intentions. They believed God's word and wanted Jordan to live a holy life. But misinformed assumptions about language and people can crush someone's soul. The last thing Jordan remembers that night was heading to his car, locking the door, squeezing the steering wheel until his fingers turned white and screaming away his pain. We in the church have not always done a very good job of creating safe places for our kids and our teenagers and our adults to have open and authentic and real conversations around these struggles. And they pick up on the fact that it's not safe based on the way we talk about it, based on the way we joke about it, based on the things that we, way that we treat other people. And I pray and hope that we can be a church who values all people no matter what their struggles are and that we can create safe places for them to admit their struggles and what's going on and that we can help carry their burdens and we can love them and extend grace and compassion as we point them to the truth of God's word and who they are in Christ. And I hope that you share that concern with me. Let's pray.